Psalm 136, I'm just going to take a few minutes. We're not going to try to divide the old passage here, but I want to hit some highlights on it uh, as we think through it. Thanksgiving is an act of giving thanks. It's an expression of gratitude, and it's it's a public celebration in recognition of divine favor. As we think about thanksgiving, those, those three things pretty much sum it up. The act of giving thanks. Two men were walking through a field one day when they spotted an enraged bull. Instantly, they darted toward the nearest fence. The storming bull followed in hot pursuit, and it was soon apparent they wouldn't make it. Terrified, the one shouted to the other, Put up a prayer, John, we're in for it. John answered, I can't. I've never made a public prayer in my life. But you must, implored the companion. The bull is catching up to us. All right, panted John. I'll say the only prayer I know, the one my father used to repeat at the table, O Lord, for what we're about to receive, make us truly thankful. (laughs) It's an act of giving thanks. It's an expression of gratitude. Warren Wiersbe gives this illustration in his uh, commentary on Colossians. He says, he was telling a, about a ministerial student in Evanston, Illinois, who was part of a life-saving squad. In 1860, a ship went down on the shore of Lake Michigan near Evanston. Edward Spencer waded again and again into the frigid waters to rescue 17 passengers. In that process, his health was permanently damaged. Some years later, at his funeral, it was noted that no, not one of the people he rescued ever thanked him. Thank. Thanksgiving is an act of giving thanks. It's an expression of gratitude. It's a public celebration and recognition of divine favor. The first national Thanksgiving proclamation given by George Washington in 1779, this is what he said. Whereas it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey his will, to be grateful for his benefits, and humbly to implore his protection and favor, whereas both the Houses of Congress have, by their joint committee, requested me to recommend to the people of the United States a day of public thanksgiving and prayer, to be observed by acknowledging with grateful hearts the many and signal favors of Almighty God, especially by affording them an opportunity peaceably to establish a form of government for their safety and happiness. Now, therefore, I do recommend next to to be devoted by the people of this state to the service of that great and glorious being who is the beneficent author of all that is good, that is, or that will be, that we may then all unite in rendering unto him our sincere and humble thanks for his kind care and protection of the people of this country. We've gone a long way, haven't we, from presidents who would proclaim it such as that. But indeed... It's a public celebration and recognition of divine favor, even as the testimonies gave given this morning. So just first of all, the exclamation. Uh, It's in your English Bible, it's written that way, and in the Hebrew it's the same idea that of an emphasis. Oh, give thanks. It's personal. The you is understood. You give thanks. I can give thanks for you, but I'm supposed to give thanks to God for what he's done and is doing in me. 
And I am thankful for you, and I am thankful that you can see and have seen answers answers to prayer. You is understood, and it's proactive. Giving thanks is an action verb, expressing appreciation and gratitude, even in the little things. And I often think of the waitresses that that serve and uh, are working hard on their feet. Are we truly grateful? Do we express even our thankfulness in those little things? Do we thank our wife or our husband or our children? Do we express thankfulness to them for what they've done right? We certainly often pick out the wrong. It's an exclamation, oh, give thanks. You give thanks. It's an action verb. Two golfers stepped up to the first tee on the St. Andrews course at Ardsley, New York, one of America's oldest courses. The elder one was a kindly man who played a thoughtful, deliberate game. The younger man was full of pride and impatience. On the first hole he sliced, lost his ball in the tall grass, shot another one, and had a score of eight instead of four or five. On the second tee, he began to lecture the caddy, keep your eye peeled, I'm not here to do your job for you. Thereafter, every bad shot was the caddy's fault. At the end of the first nine holes, the young man was so enraged that he discharged the caddy and carried his own bag. That caddy doesn't like me, he said to his companion, and I'm, I'm sure I don't like him either. He made me nervous. Thank God he's gone. After several holes had been played without a word, the older player broke in silence. He said, several years ago, a little kid from Yonkers came up here and was taken on, a, on as a caddy. He's a wonderfully sweet-natured boy, quick-witted, willing, had a nose for golf. Everybody liked him. His name was William. He had a club foot. But that didn't affect his quality as a caddy. It was a pleasure to go with him. A certain famous doctor, a member of the club, became interested in William, took him south on a long trip. When William returned, he went back to caddying. The doctor, however, had to give up golf shortly after that because of his health. He died a few months later. One morning, I was playing a round with William, carrying my bag. Spring was running riot all over Westchester County, and the fields and hedges were alive with blossoms. William gathered flowers until he had to quit quite a large bouquet. Who's the girl, William, I asked. I haven't any girl, sir, he said sheepishly. Therefore, my friend, a doctor, twice a week I lay flowers on his grave. You see, the man went on, the doctor took him south that winter and operated on his foot. He made the boy whole again. William never forgot the doctor's act of kindness. Now that's a caddy worth having, said the younger man. Whatever happened to William, he asked. He carried your bag today for the first nine holes. Oh, give thanks. The point is this. Expressing gratitude is a lifelong vocation. We, we look at a lot of things of, I've got to do this job. This is your job this week. Be thankful. It's a lifelong vocation. He never forgot the, doc, the doctor who repaired his club foot. Be thankful. The sec- second thing I want you to see, it's, it always interests me, but you see here, there's four names of God used here. Jehovah, Elohim, Adonai, and El. Verse, first it says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. The word Lord there is Jehovah. Almost exclusively associated with Israel 
as the covenant-keeping God. He's the original promise keeper, this Jehovah, Jehovah God. The second name that you see there is Elohim, probably the most often used in the Old and New Testament. Oh, give thanks to the God of gods. He's the one who brought Israel out of bondage. This is Elohim. Then there's Adonai. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords. He's the one who rules, he governs. He's the master who, he is the master who carries out his will. Jehovah, Elohim, Adonai, and El. Oh, give thanks to the God of heaven. That's a shortened form of Elohim. But the emphasis there is he rules and overrules in the affairs of men. Jehovah, Elohim, Adonai. The point is this. The names of God speak of the greatness of his nature, the extent of his activity, the power of his presence, because they cannot be measured. They cannot be measured. The third thing I want you to see here is the expectation. That's the whole chapter, but look at verse 1 and then look at verse 26. Oh, give, oh Lord, I'm sorry. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Verse 26. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, the God of heaven, for his mercy endures forever. It begins with thanks and it ends with thanks. This is a lifelong endeavor. This goes back to the aspect that it is our vocation. His mercy. Give thanks because his mercy endures forever. Mercy. When God withholds what I deserve, what do I deserve? Condemnation? Judgment? I deserve death? I deserve eternal damnation? But he withholds those things. He withholds what I deserve. But rather, he extends to me grace. He justifies me. He extends to me eternal life because he's justified me. I don't deserve those things, and neither do you. But he extends to us, oh, give thanks. His mercy endures forever. Charles Spurgeon said, when all else is changing within and around in God and his mercy, no change can be found. Charles Ryrie said, our enablement, deliverance, Guidance, understanding, forgiveness, hope, and preservation are all based on God's mercy that endures forever. Endures. To remain firm. To be steadfast. Sung while pilgrims leave the temple, continuing their worship of Jehovah, Elohim, Adonai, El, the I don't want to get into too much detail, let me just say this. There is a group of psalms that were used at certain feast days. It just happens to be that this case, this group of psalms was Psalm 120 to Psalm 136. So Psalm 120 to 135 were sung and repeated as they would go up to the temple and as they worshiped at the temple. When they departed from the temple, this is the psalm. 
with that continuing refrain, and his mercy endures forever. No matter the time of year, holidays, birthdays, anniversaries, no matter the circumstances of life, joy or sorrow, celebration or memorial, no matter the seasons of life, young and old, strong, weak, photographic memory, or have become forgetful, his mercy endures forever. Forever, eternal, ageless, dateless, timeless, changeless. The end is the same as in the beginning. After all he's done, he's ready to do more and more and more. And it goes on and on because, you see, his mercy endures forever. You, many of you have heard of the poem Footstrap, Footprints in the Sand. One night I dreamed a dream. I was walking along the beach with my Lord across the dark sky, flashed scenes from my life. For each scene I noticed two sets of footprints in the sand, one belonging to me and one to my Lord. When the last scene of my life shot before me, I looked back at the footprints in the sand. There was only one set of footprints. I realized that this was the lowest and saddest time in my life. This always bothered me, and I questioned the Lord about my dilemma. Lord, you told me when I decided to follow you, you would walk and talk with me all the way. But I'm aware that during the most troublesome times of my life, there's only one set of footprints. I just don't understand why, when I need you most, you leave me. He whispered, my precious child, I love you and will never leave you, never ever, during your trials and testings, when you saw only one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. Why? Because you see, his mercy endures forever. Oh, give thanks to Jehovah, Elohim, Adonai, and El. Because you see, his mercy endures forever. Let's all stand together. You can lead us in this song. Father, we pray as we go forward that we rest eternally on these promises again that your mercy endures forever. That we will indeed take up the challenge that gratitude, thankfulness is a vocation that we are all called to that we're all to follow. In Christ's name I pray, amen.